Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, I'm here with my engineer, Jason Harris. Our music was created for us by Jonathan Harmon. And I am your host, Dylan Rory. Today's podcast is brought to you by Tenafly Viper for the discerning wino. Tenafly Viper, where our motto is, fuck you, give me a bottle of booze, here's my dollar, suck my dick. If you heard part one of our interview with Lloyd Kaufman, then you know he has opinions. In part two, he has even more. Please enjoy part two of our conversation with Lloyd Kaufman. We're moving now toward you and Michael Hurst starting Troma. You started out as a studio. And at what point did you say, you know, we should be distributing as well? Sugar cookies should have made money, but we had a dishonest distributor uh, and uh, had to sue them. And uh, we, we, you know, and of course, every time you make a movie and raise money, you lose money. Mm-hmm. If you lose money, uh, I don't mean every time you make a movie, although I'm good at losing money. But uh, if you lose your investors money, why in hell would they want to invest? OK, if they can invest in a Clint Eastwood um, uh, crooked uh, tax shelter uh, that Warner Brothers uh, Disney is putting out. Uh, OK, you know, I can go to a cocktail party. Hey, you know, I just invested Clint Eastwood. But what are you going to do? I, hey, I invested in a in a movie that's lesbians, sugar cookie. You know, they can't talk mm-hmm. about that 1972 or whatever. You know, right. you know, that. the Junior League with that. So, um, <laughs> You know, it's a, it was a tough, tough uh, thing. Uh, and uh, so we lost all the money, that, not all of it, but our investors, you know, we really thought we were going to make money. We couldn't imagine. We, I sure. couldn't imagine a scenario where a $120,000 movie in 1970 or 71, I guess it was. But plus, you know, I counted up all the movie theaters in the, in the country. You know, how many screens are there? If each one gives us, a, you know, a dollar or if 100 screens gives us 100, whatever it is, we couldn't lose. Sure enough, we did a very good job in losing. And The Big Gus was a total disaster. So after those two movies, I, I couldn't, very hard to raise any money. Sure. Um, Michael Hurst figured uh, we better learn how to distribute. And uh, when it came time to make Squeeze Play, uh, which did make quite a bit of money, uh, we, yep. we better learn the distribution. And we got lucky with it because it was early in the day of the raunchy comedy. It came out ahead of, uh, way ahead of, uh, of Porky's and those mm-hmm. kinds of more mainstream uh, raunchy comedies with stars. So uh, when they started making raunchy comedies with stars, which it was a couple of years after Porky's, we really had to move elsewhere. And uh, we we had done um, uh, Squeeze Play, Waitress mm-hmm. on You, First Turn On, all of which are uh, uh, heavily rooted in uh, social themes like the women's liberation movement mm-hmm. and the, Equal Rights Amendment, although they're raunchy, hilarious slapstick comedies, um, we moved, uh, decided to move into the area of horror because Michael Hers had seen a, a headline in Variety that stated that uh, it may not have been hori- a Variety. It was somewhere by so-called experts uh, suggesting that horror films were no longer commercially viable. And um, the, so that uh, we, we, we do believe that when the experts pile on, that's you want to go the other way. So that's what led us to, uh, uh, to, you know, look at the horror space. But I like comedy and satire and political thoughts. And uh, so uh, the Toxic Avenger is definitely not a horror film. You're not scared by it. You might be 
disgusted by it, and there might be a little bit of suspense, but it's a, a, a just a very graphic uh, comedy full of yeah. violence. But with a, an environmental, a, a very early in the day, uh, way before Al Gore stole the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, uh, way before he discovered the internet, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, the environment was not on the uh, people's radars in 1982. Oh no, it was it was Reagan era all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so um, today, people don't really appreciate the Toxic Avenger. Uh, when the when it uh, we finished it, um, uh, nobody understood that it was a, it, 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 we couldn't get any movie theaters. We, 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 hmm. They didn't get it. Uh, and um, then finally, we got one theater in Greenwich Village. Uh, uh, by one of the Warhol uh, coterie, uh, Jackie Raynal, a French, not even American, uh, but she ran the Bleecker Street Cinema, and she understood this was satire and a lot of fun. And the day it opened, there was a line around the block. That's it, awesome. I think it went for a year, uh, primarily midnights, but I think it actually moved up to regular engagements. But it, after that, it, it had a break in New York where it was in 30 or 40 theaters and mm-hmm. There, uh, went to about 2,000 screens in the United States. but um, And then, of course, uh, all sorts of other stuff happened, with comic books and sequels. And yeah. Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a musical that played in the West End. Too. Yep. <laughs> and now uh, there's a big budget movie being, you know, a billion dollar movie with a great director, Macon Blair, who I'm sure you've seen uh-huh. He's written and directed one movie, but it's very original. And uh, he's going to do a good job. His script is better than the original Toxic Avenger. It looks interesting from what I've read on it so far. Yeah. It looks really interesting what they're doing with it. So at that time, in the so Toxic comes out, that's uh, early 80s. I know we're, we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but that's fine. Um, Cable was also starting to come up, as well as people were starting to hear about these BCR things, beta at the time, and studios were shitting their pants about this. You guys, on the other hand, did something else with it. Yeah. What did you you realize about that? We loved it. It was wonderful. (laughs) We we were getting uh, taken to lunch because there were all these uh, video stores that would have put my, uh, they would have put Michael Herz's bar (laughs) mitzvah. Uh, movies on the uh, <laughs> uh, and the majors uh, the majors didn't want competition they use the same argument every time there's a technological breakthrough one that there will be uh, the, the end of copyright law which is a lie and two we will be inundated with child pornography because of VHS video cassettes right. and of course uh, they uh, sued if I remember correctly, the MPAA, which is basically the uh, lobbying arm of the uh, cartel that runs the mainstream media, I think they sued uh, Sony and uh, whoever was making Betamax, and and uh, they did everything they could to kill the uh, video cassette. Mm-hmm. The public liked it. The public wants variety. The public wants to be entertained. The public wants to be challenged. The public is not interested in baby food. Uh, you can live on baby food, and I suppose there are lots of 13-year-old pimply boys who'd love to see uh, a bad version of Spider-Man. But, uh, uh, you know, people want to be, they want a little jalapeno pepper on their on their cultural pizza. And uh, they, we were giving it to them. So suddenly we were being taken to lunch because we own, uh, by the time VHS became successful, I think we owned about 40 or 60 movies or we controlled the worldwide rights. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, we would go to the Cannes Film Festival and we have our own office there and we'd go to uh, the American film market and have an office. There. That's a, an American uh, commercial movie market. Mm-hmm. The international movie trade attends. Uh, and uh, of course, the American video cassette companies like Vestron and the Media Home Entertainment and two or three others who were um, building up millions of dollars in the video cassette uh, industry, uh, they would give us big fat advances. And uh, wow, that was great for a while. Toxic <laughs> Avenger, uh, up until Toxic Avenger, <laughs> Restaurant used to tell us, you know, the video cassette business is really, uh, it's about Michael Jackson's uh, uh, music video, uh, the, uh, the one where he's- Thriller, the Thriller. Thriller, or- yeah. Improvement, Jane Fonda, but uh, uh, no, no trauma. And uh, they uh, eventually it, the cassette business went up to a height, and suddenly uh, they, uh, a couple of the companies started offering us advances for Toxy, and uh, we got a big one. And uh, it was a huge. It proved to Vestron that indeed uh, the types of movies that Trauma made and uh, other genre type movies could make a lot of money, home video. Yeah without going to movie theaters. But Totsi had already been to, I think, uh, 2,000 screens, or maybe not that many by the time it came out, but uh, a shitload. It was very well known, and Vincent Mm -hmm. Kennedy of the New York Times uh, chose to review it as his lead review when it came out, even though nobody uh, knew it or understood it, or, uh, you know, he he, he, instead of going for the mainstream movie that weekend, uh, Friday, when movies opened, he reviewed Mm -hmm. Toxic Avenger, and we got pretty damn good reviews. And a lot of festivals played it in Europe and Japan and uh, Asia. And uh, uh, Toxy became our Mickey Mouse. They use the, the uh, mainstream uses the same argument now to get rid of net neutrality. Because a free, open and diverse internet is going to, uh, there'll be so much piracy, so much uh, child pornography, so much. Meanwhile, uh, who, who does YouTube kick off Trauma. Yeah. <laughs> the year of making movies. They threw off the Trauma channel with, with I think, 700, 800,000 subscribers. And it yeah. was free. I was one of them. <laughs> right? They didn't throw off the, uh, the terrorists chopping off the heads of American uh, uh, volunteers in the Middle East or uh, peace workers or uh, people getting their heads crushed for real. They... <laughs> they <laughs> They kicked us off, but our fans, and we have a lot of them, uh, mm-hmm. a small company, uh, and they're young and aggressive. They went after YouTube, and I think it was two or three days later, YouTube restored the channel. Mm-hmm. But then Michael Hers was very upset, and he moved all the movies off of YouTube into Troma Now. Troma Now, right. I will say real fast, this Surf Nazis poster behind me here came from I'm, I'm from a very small town in indiana madison indiana tiny little town and we had one video rental store and they would always have trauma films literally for me okay. i would i would go there and i'd say hey this one's out and they're like it's on order we'll get it but then they'd always give me the posters too so i've had this since i was 15 i think so about 87 was it just came out so yeah i was probably 15 when i got this <laughs> it is a classic and it gets Again, that's another one. When we uh, we took it to Cannes, the first year we took it to Cannes, we took uh, we bought the entrance uh, to the Carlton Hotel, uh, which uh, is one of the main uh, drags mm-hmm. of the pretentious crowd uh, at the festival. 
you know, the buyers and the yeah. buyers, you know, it's like a billion dollars a night. And uh, we, we took huge billboards outside the uh, entry to the uh, with that poster. Nice. Uh, and, you know, many people were, were like really pissed off. It, 1987 is not that long after World War II and Nazis' uh, heyday. <laughs> Ebert and Rex Reed and uh, a couple of the major critics were intrigued by it. And they attended the uh, screening, you know, mm-hmm. when the uh, we had to, we rented theaters and showed the movie during the Marche de film. There's a sidebar, which is uh, commercial at the festival. And, okay. uh, and uh, suddenly oh, everybody loved it. It became uh, very respected and uh, became a very successful movie. And everybody I... said, oh, somebody wants to remake it, but uh, they have to, they're going to have to buy the rights. Peter George is the writer, director, uh, and Bob Dowling, uh, no, Bob Dowling is a monster in the closet. Peter George uh, directed, uh, mm-hmm. he's a great guy, great guy, great guy. I know it, it, going back to kind of the, what you guys were doing with the video, the VCR models, and then also with cable, where again, the studios are, are terrified that now you can watch shit on TV, you don't have to come to the theaters. You guys, again, jumped on that bandwagon. For me, growing up in the 80s in a small town, I would, there was no way I would have known about trauma had it not been for that happening. And not just you guys, but also Roger Corman. Uh, so many things that I, I learned to love, I would really not have known about without that. And so when today, when streaming started, you guys were also jumping on that ahead of the studios. Once again, the studios were losing their minds about it, but you guys have this model in mind and just kept with it. What was the... To some extent, we, we painted ourselves in the corner because, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, the plan has always been to own our, you know, I read uh, uh, Chaplin's autobiography and others, and uh, part of his deal was he owned the negatives. Yep. Keaton, arguably just as brilliant, or maybe more so, uh, ended up as a, destroyed by the suits at MGM. Mm-hmm. In fact, his uh, negatives would have been destroyed if it wasn't for Raymond Rohauer who was basically a film pirate who had the public domain or whatever negatives of and Mm -hmm. restored them and took Buster Keaton on tour in Europe. And suddenly Buster Keaton was a hero again. Yeah. So the studios. Kino Lorber just did a, uh, uh, well, not just, but they did an, um, a transfer to Blu-ray of all of Keaton shorts. And I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's, incredibly well done some of the music is a little off but for the most part it's it's just an incredible watch one more rather than keaton shorts i think they would have been better off to deal with his underpants but (laughs) (laughs) so um i wanted to to jump i we talked about corman earlier and i think it's easy to compare what you were doing with trauma to what Corman was doing, especially with foreign distribution, bringing in foreign markets. You guys have uh, my neighbor Totoro now, and, and that's coming in. Um, that I, the difference between them, and I, I'm just kind of want to see if you agree with this or not. But I, Corman thought about making the money first. I, and I've heard you say this before that it's you you focus on the art before you focus on the entertainment. Well, uh, that's a good point. Uh, uh, Corman may say that he's, and, and actually um, uh, Herschel, uh, with whom I was rather friendly. Herschel Gordon-Lewis, I've interviewed both of them uh, several times, and you can see these interviews on Troma Now. Mm-hmm. Watch 
www.troma.com, first month free. So if you're a film student, you can get watch them all for free. Uh, he, uh, Herschel insists uh, the secret is is marketing. You need to know the market and aim at the market and the money and the. But it's not true. He was an artist, whether he liked it or not. Herschel yeah. didn't. Like it. His soul is in those movies. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Corman, a very mon- you know, he clearly want- is a good businessman and wants to make money, but uh, a-, a great artist. And there's no question that the artistry uh, was extremely is still extremely important to him. He's a classy guy. He's he's well educated and reads books and and uh, you know loves movies. Uh, he- he's not a schlocko. You know, there are plenty of schlocko ones who've made some money, but they're long gone. You know, they don't last because they got nothing to say. It's all uh, form and no content. Uh, yeah. For me, it's not necessarily the art. It's the, the uh, uh, you know, hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm. The drug companies have brainwashed three generations of Americans that pills are, are, are part of the uh, countryside. You have a hangnail, take a pill. Every five minutes, there's a, a drug commercial on television that the four-year-old crowd is watching while they're becoming their obese at 7 a.m. in the morning on their Fruit Loops, they're watching these shit shows with the the Today Show or the uh, thing on, uh, you know, you know what I'm these chat mm-hmm. shows. Total shit, absolute shit. And uh, every other minute there's a, a, a drug commercial. So, of course, people are going to grow up uh, conditioned to taking drugs. And uh, now we have uh, 80,000 uh, deaths just this year, opioid deaths. So mm-hmm. that was one of the themes of... Uh, Hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm was the uh, the drug uh, big uh, pharma uh, and how disgusting. And then the other issue is the Twitter hate. All this that's why hashtag is part of the it's part of the the title. The title and uh, I get totally obsessed with these themes. Poultry guys, and McDonald's was moving in next door to the Troma Building in Manhattan, and they were miserable. They were filthy. They they we had. <laughs> rats uh, uh, like raccoons in our basement uh, on the weekends they come over there to uh, sunbathe or what i don't know <laughs> uh, i mean it was awful and and they even yeah. damaged our building their sign the mcdonald's sign was too big for their building so they chopped uh, into the facade of our building which of course lets water in and uh, yeah. you know, mold and god knows what else so uh, then uh, gabe friedman uh, who's been our supervising editor gave mm-hmm. me uh, uh we were actually cleaning out the trauma basement, trying to get rid of the rats down there. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he said, you know, uh, read uh, Fast Food Nation, which I did. And uh, <laughs> got it. Yeah. And we'll make a Fast Food Nation for younger people because the young mm-hmm. people certainly weren't reading that book, nor were sure. they going to that movie. And uh, uh, I also am a big fan of American musical comedies. Uh, I grew up a lot of theater. And um, so I've always wanted to make a musical. And Gabe Friedman said, well, this could be your opportunity to make a musical. So yeah. we dealt with the extermination of uh, Native Americans uh, and mm-hmm. uh, the extermination of billions of uh, chickens due to the crimes of factory farming and the fact that uh, fast food uh, defiles the countryside with their ugly structures, uh, abuses their workers, abuses the animals, has heavily contributed to our obesity issue. Definitely. Uh, there was nothing good about them. And maybe, maybe uh, poultry guys, Night of the Chicken Dead, might have made a little bit of difference. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm sure Fast Food Nation had an influence, 
But uh, none of my young people uh, were a fast food nation, but maybe mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of them got it. And, uh, and of course, there has been a movement to, uh, and McDonald's has, has, you know, they serve salad and, uh, you know, slowly but surely, uh, Wendy's actually is becoming a lot more uh, health conscious. Uh, mm -hmm. When you're making these movies, you brought it up a lot now, the, the social consciousness of making a film, the, the importance of that to you. When you're just, you get the germ of an idea, let's say like poultry guys, like you just described, you get this germ of an idea. At what point are you immediately thinking right away? Oh, I could turn this into a metaphor for this or. I apologize. My doorbell is ringing. Oh, sure. Do your thing. No worries. Can you take just one second, please? Yeah, sure, sure. Maybe she'll come and say hello. She used to be film commissioner. Yes, she was. Yeah. Ellen, uh, the commissioner is here. Oh, oh. Say hello. Hello, commissioner. As, uh, hey. Hey, how are you? Beautiful flowers. I you. told her so much about you. you. <laughs> Jason, do you want to come over and get on camera for a second and say hi? Jason Harris is here with me. He's my engineer on this. Hey, Jason. I'm gonna I'm gonna have him poke his head in real fast. Yeah, we went into my little studio here. I'll come up from your lap. Indiana. He's been down there this whole time. I back. <laughs> it's been a while. Hi. Can't hear you, but I hope it's all good because we're recording it. They're saying really shitty things about you That's right now. Fine. That's normal. <laughs> all right, back to your other hole now. <laughs> the commissioner retired recently and uh, at. <laughs> Became the producer, one of the producers of um, hashtag Shakespeare. She did, yeah, yeah. Responsible for bringing billions of dollars in jobs to New York because she uh, carried the torch for the incentive program. She did a huge thing for that. Yes, yeah. yeah, that was like one of the one of the better. I think Vancouver didn't they kind of steal that model almost. Uh, everybody completely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. First, but a lot of the states that uh, didn't do it properly are uh, stopped. Yeah, Wilmington doesn't do it anymore. New York yeah, makes uh, some money from it and a huge amount of uh, jobs. So much mm -hmm. that there aren't enough crews here, and they're taking uh, guest uh, workers, you know, students. Yeah, who are not in the union. Who are not in the sexist unions. Right. Um. So. Like when you're when you're creating these movies, you get this idea. Are you immediately in that moment thinking, "Oh, this this would be a good way for me to tell this story of something that I'm concerned about"? And in the case of Poltergeist, it was about your your disgust with fast food and and the the blight they put on our country. Do, do you immediately start thinking that way? Well, if I get obsessed with something, yeah. Uh, uh, it, but it takes time. I mean, it took mm -hmm. uh, it takes me a long, five years to develop Romeo and Juliet. Sure. Uh, but I knew originally what the themes <laughs> were going to be. Uh, but uh, you know, namely the fact that uh, the Clinton uh, baby, well, my my baby boomer generation has totally fucked things up and smothered the next generation. Uh, and in my opinion, that's why they turned inward on themselves. Uh, and uh, tattoo and uh, uh, indulge in uh, auto asphyxiation, auto erotic asphyxiation, and and uh, um, that was kind of what Romeo and Juliet was about. And mm -hmm. then uh, uh, 
the two lovers uh, have to follow rules by the previous generation, like Romeo and Juliet. And uh, so, uh, you know, that's where it all started. Uh, also, I was, uh, uh, they did a, a retrospective at the Brit Brit uh, British Film Institute, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere obviously before Romeo and Juliet. And it went on for a week. Uh, and during the day, uh, it, I was taking sightseeing to Shakespeare's uh, birthplace, Avon on, on uh, mm -hmm. Avon on what is Strap it? Strapper on Avon. Strapper on Avon. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> uh, uh, Shakespeare's spirit, my soul. I was very moved there, very, very moved. And Shakespeare's spirit literally uh, entered uh, my soul. I, I can't tell you. Which from which orifice it exited my soul, but uh, Romeo and Juliet is a result of that uh, inspiration right there on this Shakespeare's uh, birthplace. That's fantastic. Who knows? It may have been Anne Hathaway uh, uh, in my uh, head or something. <laughs> uh, it and it works perfectly for the issues that were on my mind, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, and the Museum of Modern Art, the uh, French Institute. Mm -hmm. It's been heralded all over the world, except really in uh, in uh, <laughs> the mainstream. I love the idea of a trauma film at MoMA. I mean, that's just one of the, the better images in my head. <laughs> the Museum of Modern Art had the world <clears throat> North American premiere of uh, Return to Newcomb High. Um, they okay. did the premiere of it, uh, Return to Newcomb High, and then the moving image, Museum of the Moving Image, which is in New York, uh, premiered uh, Return to Return to Newcomb High, the second half of that uh, mm -hmm. huge uh, opus. Yeah. Suggested by Tarantino, actually, the idea of a longer form. <laughs> that actually, that you just gave me the best segue into my what I wanted to talk about next. So we, the, the directors who have cited you as an influence, Tarantino, Peter Jackson, um, Sam Raimi, they're, they're, there's just an endless list of, of directors who cite you specifically and trauma specifically as being influences on them. They would start out in, in all of those cases I just gave, they started out very independent, very much doing their own thing and now have moved into the studio system. Is it harder today to stay independent, even if you're successful at it? Is it just becoming the, the blob with studios where it's just kind of overtaking? Yeah. I think it is very, very, very hard, but talent will out. I mean, uh, I decided uh, in my senior year at Yale, uh, thanks to our good friend LSD, that I would stay in New York and uh, go deep in the underground. Um, these other guys who you mentioned, who are extremely talented, um, are great people. They love movies. Uh, they're wonderful people, and but they wanted to walk the red carpet and they wanted to millions of fans and they wanted whatever that is and they've gotten it on their own terms and they're great people so it is still possible from what i can see uh, i mean obviously james gunn isn't going to be able to have a full-on head crushing in a 200 million dollar movie but uh you know he put farts in scooby-doo uh, yeah. uh you know <laughs> and uh, certainly guardians of the galaxy had a, a, a t very original uh, very independent feel to it, as did the absolutely, uh, you know. So they 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 take with them what they have learned, and their talent is great. And I did a TV show with Arkoff Samuel Arkoff, who uh, was the head yeah. of the AIP and International. Uh, Roger Corman worked for a long time. I did a, a three part TV show with them, uh, 
And uh, I think I was the moderator. And I asked uh, Arkoff, you know, it's getting hard for independent uh, movie makers. In fact, his son-in-law at the time was head of production at Fox uh, and were interested in uh, making the Toxic Avenger remake. Mm -hmm. uh, that goes back a long time ago. But they both indicated, look, talent will out. No matter what, talent's going to out. As hard as it's getting for independence, the talented people are going to make it. And here's Macon Blair. Great guy. Wonderful guy. I don't know him well, but his, he clearly loves movies. He loves cinema. He knows as much about trauma movies as, as I do. Uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, he's a major fan. He really, he's not in this to do Godzilla 62. Uh, which, by the way, is a huge hit, and uh, our fans love it. I haven't seen mm -hmm. it, but uh, I know the trauma fans are, on my Twitter are quite uh, happy about it. So, uh, but he he's uh, he's going to do something really. If they leave him alone, and I think they will, uh, because the people at Legendary, I, I think they also love film. I think they genuinely love cinema, and to, to do a big, big billion dollar budget of Toxic Avenger. Uh, <laughs> that takes guts. If you have yeah, to. I don't. You know, that's not uh, guaranteed to mop up. Uh, <laughs> you know, There's a difference between uh, the Toxic Avenger and the Avengers. Uh, uh, on the other hand, the Deadpool people uh, freely admit to uh, uh, being uh, very heavily influenced by trauma, yeah. Oxy, and, and also uh, I'm a big fan of Bertolt Brecht, uh, who talks to the audience, you know, yep. and Thornton Wilder and... Uh, and uh, there's a Brechtian quality to a lot of the movies you've directed. I've noticed there, there are moments that are there to take you completely out of the catharsis yeah. and, and just to, to look what I'm doing now. I've, I've often thought there's a, there's kind of a little Brechtian quality to that. Well, you're right. And also it, because we have no money, uh, you know, our special effects are a little sloppy and uh, sometimes you might see a little piece of a, light stand there uh, or whatever. Charm. Uh, That's it, charm. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get to behind the curtain a little bit. You know, every film that, that we've made since Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, uh, uh, at least the ones I've directed, uh, have uh, this uh, car flip in it, uh, which was... Oh, I'm well aware. <laughs> ...done as a joke uh, with uh, James Gunn. We did it for fun. And the fans love it. And if we left it out now, the fans would be pretty upset. By the way, I wanted to add one item, one thought to your note about, you know, how do I start thinking about a movie? Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, what you said is true, but I also think a lot about, we got to make it entertaining. You cannot bore your audience. You mm -hmm. can't do that. I, I, I don't want to be bored. Uh, sure. So, so I try to make the movies as entertaining as possible, but also... Uh, Give the audience something they've never seen before. Give them something to think about. As I said, give them uh, jalapeno peppers on their cultural pizza instead of baby food. You can live on baby food, but very yeah. boring. Very boring. <laughs> I, I, I'd say you 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 succeed on both of those counts. It's always original. It's always unique and singular, and it's very entertaining. I've I've not watched a movie. We actually. Um, and this is kind of interesting. I've uh, been dating a lady who you were in a movie with. Uh, it's it's weird how trauma has been in my life, but um, I, she hadn't seen Toxic Avengers, so we watched it together the other night, and the uh, it was the Japanese release, and there's the an interview with you and Michael beforehand. They bring you guys brought up the car flip, and I said you're going to see the car flip, but you could see it in any trauma film. It's fine. <laughs> 
now the big surprise is in uh, Return to Return to Newcomb High, mm -hmm. uh, the ha second half of the Return to Newcomb High double f uh, two movies. Uh, there is another surprise, but I don't want to be a spoiler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Return, to Return to Newcomb High. But uh, for those of you who are fans of Troma's War, you might find something in uh, Return to Return to Newcomb. Good to know. Okay. Volume two. So as far as the marketplace today goes, I know it's a very different world. Um, it's it's not, what I've noticed is not only with streaming changing things, um, the pandemic obviously has kind of changed how we consume entertainment completely, but um, also with the different foreign markets and things, are you thinking like the big studios, will this sell in China? Will this go, uh, you know, to, to India and sell? It's a very... Um... It's a cartel, a worldwide media cartel. I've made a very short documentary. It's about 12 minutes um, showing in my, how in my, uh, YouTube and Amazon uh, Prime uh, skew the algorithms to uh, kick people off like me mm -hmm. or censor uh, independent films, but they don't censor pedophilia that's on Netflix or um, the decapitations, the real decapitations or uh, bloody shit that's on uh, people getting run over by trains that's on uh, YouTube, that somehow mm -hmm. it's me, trauma. You know, maybe some of the word fuck will be there. So bingo, you know. Right. Algorithm is, and I show you in that documentary, it's called um, Independent Artists Versus Corrupt Cartels. It's on the free trauma channel, trauma movies on YouTube. And it's also on trauma now. Uh, and it's pretty, you know, I don't just use trauma movies. I show you uh, how the mainstream seems to be getting away with stuff. The, the club of five or six giant mm -hmm. media conglomerates, but uh, yet the little uh, independent movies are getting uh, their wings clipped. So that, you know, if you don't have uh, Justin Beaver in your film, uh, what do you have to offer? You've got special effects maybe, or, or a couple of nice, uh, uh, penises or something, or, or maybe some salty language, but uh, they'll kick you off. Yeah. And it, they're, not only that, I, I feel that, well, I don't even feel this. It's proven they are changing media. They're changing long-established films. They'll change endings. They'll. Yeah. Um, I'm a big advocate of physical media for that reason, um, because once it goes digital, it's no longer the same work of art it was, because somebody can alter it and you'll never know. Um, does that, so does that also, when you're, when you're thinking about uh, like the next project and you're thinking about the new world that we're in this market that we're in now, are you even considering any kind of theatrical releases for anything? Or do you just immediately go toward distributing on physical and streaming? Well, um, uh, if I direct a movie, uh, there are about 200 theaters in the United States that will play it. And usually the calendar houses like Alamo mm -hmm. House or yep. Lemley Cinemas in LA are probably the most prestigious chain of theater that play movies. But if, if it's only the ones that I've directed uh, because they know they're going to get people turning up and they mm -hmm. you know, get a full house at least on the first two or three days, which really is about... Uh, that's even the major movies aren't staying much more than a week these days. Uh, or I, I, my movies will get a weekend and sometimes only a, a midnight show. Mm -hmm. But in the pandemic, uh, quite a number of drive-ins called up 
because the majors yeah. weren't giving them movies, but they knew the Toxic Avenger, Tromeo and Juliet, Bloodsucking. Mm-hmm. The, you know, we have about 20 evergreen movies. Yeah. Great in the drive-ins. So, we, you know, we got a little boost there. Um, but basically, the industry is pretty much a closed shop. I think Troma is probably the last dodo bird uh, left alive on the beach of independent uh, studios. That, uh, mm-hmm. We haven't been clubbed to death by the, uh, I think we have one wing that works a little bit, but basically we've been clubbed to death. Yeah. So um, yes, you can have, uh, I've had freedom for 47 years. How cool is that? It's very cool. Basically, uh, we're economically blacklisted, but that's pretty lame liberating because uh, look at the movie I just made, hashtag Shakespeare's Shitstorm. It's, I don't know if anybody wants to see it, but it's, I think it's great. I love it. My fans love it. And, uh, you know, I doubt it's going to make money, but uh, it actually, we actually got about 50,000 bucks from a patron of the arts who didn't even want to make money. Uh, A company called Bad Dragon. Bad Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Who uh, okay. want to support the patron of the arts by their uh, adult toys. Yes. Remember that. Remember that. Name. They're great people. Oh, I'm well aware of Bad Dragon. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we've got uh, they, the guy who owns it is a movie lover. You can have the same discussion with him as you've had with me because he, he, he and he's younger than you, but he mm-hmm. knows Ford and Hawks and Renoir and, you know, and, and uh, a big fan of... Uh, the Netflix uh, good movies and you know he's mm-hmm. in it. he loves it as do his employees so uh, you know we and there are a few other people like that who've uh, helped me out a little bit but for the most part my wife and I are, are financing the, this stuff mm-hmm. and um, you know it, not so easy where are you going oh thank you did you go to the drugstore oh I thought you said you were going to harvest something. Pharmacy is where she's going. Got it. (laughs) Well, I don't want to keep you forever. We've been talking for a while now. I appreciate this so much. Um, I just had a a couple other things I wanted to talk to you about. Well, one is I have to, I have to ask you. So Julie Powers is uh, who I've been seeing. You were in a short film with her that was done by um, Randy DeFord and you featured it on your, Yeah. So Julie was who played opposite you in that. We watched it last night. I hadn't seen it yet, so we watched it last night. Um, I just had to bring it up. It was just an interesting little piece, and I, the focus you were doing on it was on how he was doing it all on his own. Yeah, I made a lesson about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I do master classes, and that's mm-hmm. if it's a two-day master class. That's one of the ones I show because uh, he's so resourceful and mm-hmm. enthusiastic and uh, don't, it didn't need anybody making his own damn movie. Doesn't even have anybody helping him. So who are you? Who are you looking at now? What when you're looking around the world today? What movies are interesting to you that are new? What's coming out today that you're just really interested in? Don't know. I really don't. I told you what has been uh, what I've loved uh, the past mm-hmm. few months. Uh, I I thought Sorkin's movie about the, the uh, Chicago Seven was. Mm-hmm done i loved uh, the comedians movie too uh, from, mm-hmm. i've been to kazakhstan too which is terrific <laughs> they hate <that>. <laughs> although i think uh, by the time i got there they kind of liked the idea uh um no actually they didn't they, they were not terribly pleased with uh, being made yeah. uh 
although by now I bet you they're getting lots of tourists because of the Borat. Right. But I can't really say I've seen. Oh, oh, it happened. Uh, the uh, this. Uh, well, I, I'm wearing the T-shirt. I think um, the Quentin Tarantino's movie is a masterpiece. And in my brain, I, I think that that movie is Quentin's uh, speaking out about the cancellation uh, society and Twitter hate and uh, the Twitter sphere, the evils of the Twitter sphere, because the hero of the movie, uh, the Brad Pitt character, the people suspect him of killing his wife. But you never saw him kill his wife. There's no proof that he killed his wife. He was acquitted in a court of law by, of killing his wife. And everything he does in the movie, he's heroic. But basically, uh, he's a, 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 a kind of a washed up stuntman because of uh, bullshit, because mm -hmm. of insulation society. So I think that might have been on. I, again, I haven't spoken to Quentin Tarantino. His theater, though, plays our movies because we have 35 prints. Mm -hmm. Up there in California. We lost my wicked stepmother uh, last year, um, and uh, I dedicated hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm to her, Terry Jones, John G. Avelson, and Stan Lee, I think. Stan Lee, yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys had written Night of the Witch, or he had written Night of the Witch, and you were looking to get that financed? Stan dictated a story uh, in a, on a reel to reel tape recorder that he thought would be a good idea. And I changed it to modern day uh, Boston uh, witchcraft, and and uh, it got optioned a couple of times. But uh, there was a wasn't there a Finnish producer who was putting money up for it and then yeah. pulled out? Yeah, okay. But, no, the, the producer was all for it. Uh, Stan's partner, Stan was all for it. It would have been a million dollar movie with Lloyd Kaufman and Stan Lee in the mm -hmm. uh, credits, and uh, you know Stan Lee's Night of the Witch, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, and. Uh, <laughs> But uh, then, by then, Stan was, uh, you know, big, 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 and his partner sure. permitted. We, we, the producers came into LA. They, Stan was all for it. Uh, he and I spoke about it a couple of times over lunch, and and uh, finally, we were going to have a lunch with him and his uh, uh, partner. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that was kind of a okay. We're off and off to the races, and. Uh, <laughs> And the partner said, no, no, Stan can't do that. He only does triple A projects. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be talking to Hypatia Lee soon. And I wanted to, are you comfortable talking about the erotica you worked on? I, that was Louis Sue. But if I were to uh, be involved, uh, Louis Sue used those films in large part as film school because he had 35 millimeter cameras, sound equipment, mm -hmm. lights, uh, uh, people who are intelligent. Most of mm -hmm. the sex workers are intelligent too. And the women uh, are like, uh, you know, what kind of jobs could women get in the early 70s? Yeah, tell me that. It's a, you know, it's a pity because in the 70s, porn was moving uh, in, a, in a good way. There were some talented people, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, writing scripts, shooting in 35 millimeter. Uh, and then unfortunately- Original the, scores? Yeah, that's right. In fact, there were uh, melody production <laughs> <laughs> uh, scripts written by Yale graduates, uh, <laughs> uh, Louis Sue, the great Louis Sue. Uh, <laughs> but um, the point is that uh, it, it, like the uh, mainstream movie mm -hmm. media, became very consolidated. There were two or three uh, theatrical companies, uh, Pussycat Theaters and uh, two or three others, who basically controlled the industry. Yeah. And 
he, uh, they just uh, uh, pushed people uh, like um, uh, Sonnenfeld or others. Um, you know, they did. They pushed them to the bottom of the pack. They never. Our films. I mean, the Louis Sue films never played the big cat in L.A. That was the. Uh, you know, where you could make a. That's the one where Deep Deep Throat made its big premiere, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> in New York, but uh, you know, so it was also that kind of a, a industry, very. Yeah. very uh, elitist uh, in a uh, and a little mafia in there. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of mafia. Life in Chicago parking lot. But again, the the actors were very, uh, from what I understand, uh, you know, they're very intelligent. And I go to the uh, uh, um, Bad Dragon uh, has been bringing me in for the last few years to AVN, which is the big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the film industry, and uh, you know I've become friendly with Charlotte Stokely and Sensei, mm -hmm. and uh, Gene Silver won the uh, won the Lifetime Achievement Award, the last one I believe. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, Riley Reed. I mean, they're very smart people. Uh, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, again, the, you, the, even today, women are still. What are they making? Eighty-two cents for every man's dollar, and uh, and uh, you know what? It's like the black people. We had to fight. They didn't go boxing because uh, I'm sure they would have much preferred uh, going to Harvard Law School and becoming the Supreme Court justice. I don't think they've enjoyed getting their brains knocked out in an industry that uh, is going to cause you to be end up like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Football players who banged their heads together. And, uh, you know, women had a tough time. I'm old enough to remember that. My mother think... was a brilliant woman. And, uh, you know, she got married and that was that. How many movie stars got married... My mother had, was a theater person, and uh, mm -hmm. a lot of her friends were movies were theater stars, and the, but they'd marry somebody who uh, was old fashioned, and they'd start raising kids, and that was the end of the career. And they'd try to come back, mm -hmm. but uh, as you know, it ain't easy for uh, fifty-year-old women to uh, come back. Sure. To movies. You mentioned your mother being involved in theater. What was what was her capacity in theater when she was involved? Just like a production coordinator or something like that. Stage managing and things like that, or not? E not even that. Uh, more of almost like a groupie. She, uh, she and my father invested in a couple of shows, of course, and never. Got As a theater major, those are the people we loved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mother was. A, she had all the playbills every year, bound in a leather. Oh, me. Book and uh, and uh, she had subscription to a Theater Guild and took me to Stratford on Avon in Connecticut and. In fact, oh, we the Tempest together when I was about eight years old with Morris Karanofsky. And, and uh, so she was a, a bit opposite from my uh, communist grandmother, who right. was uh, Fidel. I love Fidel. <laughs> my mother was more uh, conservative in her views, but uh, loved uh, the theater. And, uh, you know, I caught the bug. I was yeah. I never expected to go into show business. And I'm not really in show business. I'm in the underground. Would you be interested in, in directing a theatrical play? I'm interested. I'm very interested in possibly bringing back the Toxic Avenger musical. Uh, it played for a year in New York, but the theater was too big and too expensive. And uh, <clears throat> I think if it played in a, a hundred seat theater, it, the music is written by Bon Jovi's David Bryan and uh, the scenario, the, uh, whatever you call it, the script. Mm -hmm. The libretto was written by uh, Joe DiPietro, with yeah. whom David Bryan got uh, Tony for Memphis. 
And mm-hmm. the Toxic Avenger musical won all the Off-Broadway awards, every one of them. Um, and um, uh, it's a great show. It's wonderful. But I think, <clears throat> and the people who showed up were both uh, my fans with, uh, th- uh, you know, things in their noses and tattoos and uh, rainbow hair and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and the little old ladies who go to see uh, Rogers and Hart or Rogers and Amnesty. And they all, have, you know, I, I went, my wife, it was the only thing I've been involved with my entire career that my wife could take her uh, her friends to see, you know, they're, they're of a certain age and uh, right. junior league kind of people. And, uh, you know, if they had seen, if they had <laughs> seen the Toxic Avengers, if they had ever seen any of my stuff. They, 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 so they uh, just went to a Grand Guggenau Theater. <laughs> <laughs> it depends uh, for sure. Uh, so she went many times, and we would take people from out of town. Uh, what's her name came uh, as a guest? Uh, uh, she's huge. Uh, Paramore, Paramore, the music, okay. and uh, yeah. came into town, and, and uh, they loved it. And uh, it's a great show, but I think it could run forever. And uh, I talked to David and Joe about uh, my wife and I trying to produce it in a small theater in Manhattan. Uh, but then uh, the uh, para, the uh, pandemic hit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and um, having second thoughts because I know nothing about the legitimate. I don't know anything about theater, period, legitimate or otherwise. <laughs> what are your favorite plays or theatrical authors? Uh, uh, my favorite playwrights, Joe Orton. Uh, he wrote uh, the British playwright wrote farces in the sixties. Sure, um, that was such a big hit that I saw probably before you might have been born. What the Butler saw? Yeah, I saw that. And that loot kind of a Asperger type guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was loot was loot was the one they made into a movie. Entertaining Mr. Sloan, I think that was Malcolm McDowell's one of his first big theatrical breaks. He's very good. He's yeah. very good. Yeah. He, he picked his projects beautifully. Uh, yeah, I've got um, a, a good friend that I went to high school with is an independent filmmaker out of Bloomington. Um, he made a, you may have heard of one of his horror films called Found. It, it kind of swept the festival circuit. It was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, he made that. A star in it? I'm sorry? Does Found not have a, a movie star kind of? No, it's all it's all very very low budget, micro budget film. Not Bound. There is a Bound with a... Found. Found with an F. I'm sorry, not Bound. Oh, okay. Because Bound. Yeah. Is... Bound is the one with uh, Jennifer Tilly and uh, Gina Gershon. Yeah, yeah. Good film. Great film. Headless. Headless. Headless was another one that Scott made. Yeah. Jason was just headless. What's Scott's name? Uh, Scott Shermer. He was a producer on that. But um, yeah, he it's a, it was actually a, a spinoff from Found. They, yeah. they made Headless off of yeah. that. I don't think uh, somewhere. Yeah, you uh, can tell Lloyd, I guarantee they've met. It's Scott. <laughs> Jason guarantees that you've met Scott at some point. So <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> I'd love to see uh, Found or maybe... Uh, Maybe he'd like to put it on Troma now and, uh, you know, get in our eyeballs. He's pissed at Amazon. He's pissed with their streaming, so. Well, uh, at least he'll be uh, getting more eyeballs in a very small, uh, you know, we're four or five years old, but it's growing. And yeah. You get a few bucks here and there. I'll let him know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He knows all my uh, coordinates. And if you or Jason want uh, uh, hashtag Shakespeare Shootstorm uh, secret link, uh, let me know and... Uh, 
Yeah, definitely. Jason's hand just went up too. Yeah, I'll see. I'll, I will. I'll shoot you an email at that. Um, and in fact, uh, Julie Powers, the person I've been seeing, she's a makeup artist for film. She works with a local company called Pegasus. They've done some pretty good films with some big names. Um, they've done a lot of, they're trying to, their focus is bringing a lot of that to Indiana and, and making the films here with local crews and things. So it's, it's very cool what they're doing. Congratulations. And uh, uh, certainly Uncle Lloyd is there if I can give any advice. Or... <laughs> I appreciate it. Fact, Kevin Smith and I had uh, a lot of uh, togetherness at uh, Indie PopCon because oh. uh, I did him a favor there. By, uh, he was doing some kind of red carpet thing and they wanted somebody to warm up the audience that yeah. the that popcon was the first time i met you actually was uh, at that popcon my son and i were there and we we knew you were going to be there i'd be lying to you so <laughs> thank you so much yeah email me. email me so i have your email and we keep in touch so absolutely hey, ask lloyd if that was the popcon where kevin smith was a huge dick <laughs> jason what jason wants to know if that was the popcon where kevin smith was a huge dick <laughs> Well, uh, he he was very strange. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I had to do what? How how long did I have to talk, Jason? How long did he have to talk, Jason? Uh, what about like right now? You can talk forever. Oh no, I meant to. Uh, no, with with popcorn. I was warming up the audience, and it just yeah. never ended. Yeah, it never ended. You just kept <laughs> talking, and then Kevin Smith was kind of rude about you. <laughs> I, had to wait, I had to make up, you know, I made up a certain number of jokes to yeah. the audience, right. and he never showed up. So then no. I'm like, help me, help me, Kevin. And I had to pee like a racehorse. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, and, he, <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't escape. I couldn't just get up and leave. During, and plus, I'm sitting next to the Toxic Avenger and the Commissioner <laughs> and Jason, yeah. and uh, I can't, maybe, maybe Bill Dever was there. Uh -huh. I, I, so I had to sit through his uh, sausage movie, uh, and he never even recognized. He never even said hi, Lloyd. Never, yeah. I didn't exist. That sucks. He, he acted like you were beneath him, and it really upset me. Well, <laughs> he may have he may have had some issues uh, with the convention because um, shortly thereafter, the, the comic book men devoted an entire show to trauma. So, and that's his show. So, uh, right. Well, I, there's a very funny movie. Uh, about uh, um, his uh, clerks, that's uh, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just sort of coming around now. It's hilarious. Sort of the making of it's kind of a fictitious mm -hmm. about the making of uh, clerks and Kevin's hilarious in it. And uh, and uh, I and my assistant and another guy from my company have a little and my wife too. I think we're all in mm -hmm. uh, with some cameos. But it's a great film. It's very good, very funny. And um, I think the guy is originally from Scotland or something. I can't remember where he's from, but a very talented dude. And I believe that the movie's either come out or it's coming out. Jason, oh. Jason said he'll tell you some more Kevin Smith stories when he oh. sees you again. And it might explain <laughs> some, of those, some of those problems. Oh, oh okay. Let me know. I'm, uh, I'm still recovering from red uh, state. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's, a great, okay, he's one of the great independent filmmakers. He's extremely talented. He hasn't uh, come, he hasn't uh, fucked any little boys. He hasn't raped anybody. He hasn't cheated anybody. He's got a family. He lives in New Jersey. God bless him. You know, if he's yeah. a little bit irritable or makes me uh, my makes my bladder. Uh, <laughs> 
makes me have to change my depends. Uh, okay. Well, I really appreciate your time, Lloyd. I, I this has been a uh, your fifteen year old me did not believe this would ever happen. Um, that it's uh, you've been a huge influence on my life. Uh, uh, many of my friends unwillingly were influenced by you because I'd forced them to watch your movies over and over. So I really appreciate your time, and I can't think of a better person to kick off this podcast with. Thank you so much. I hope it does uh, well for you. Best to you, and uh, love to Jason and uh, Bill Dever, of course. Thank you so much, Lloyd. Thank you. And Ron Mackey. Jason, tell Ron Mackey that uh, Ron Mackey was one of the stars of, uh, and uh, it was, uh, he runs our, uh, uh, all our conventions. Uh, he was the guy running the uh, Indie PopCon convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been texting him through this whole thing, Lloyd. Don't worry. Uh, you made my day. It was a lot of fun to talk to people who love movies. Thanks. Thank so you much. so much. Thank you, Lloyd. Bye-bye. Bye, Lloyd. This has been the Walter Paisley Movie House, coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios. Our producer is Jason Harris. Our music is by Jonathan Harmon. And I'm your host, Dylan Rory. Special thanks to our own Jason Harris and to Tom D'Amico for helping set up this interview. And remember, as you are getting out and about again, be sure to tip your servers generously. Because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we don't piss on hospitality. Hospitality.